0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? 9.37am. Good morning, you are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mukhtar with Philip C and Wong Ning. This is, of course, WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly roundup show of the top stories this week, as well as any other news tidbits that you may have missed. Our job is to ease you into the weekend and make sure that you're armed with a lot of facts and uh, figures and important bits of information that you can share with whoever you meet uh, over the next two days. And I just to to start off i want to ask if either of you saw the video of the i don't know how to describe it uh, the creature Roden? that tidies up <laughs> you know how you always talk about elves cleaning up your house in the middle of the night it's me <laughs> <laughs> i, I, look I
0: like didn't I, give you the keys to my house
2: i'm I know how to go in I'm a magic
1: that is a bit scary <laughs> that's really scary but uh, I think what uh, what's been caught on camera and this, that's been making the rounds on the internet this week is of a tiny rodent helping a man to clean his his shed his desk shed um, all the bits and bobs that he has on a desk in his shed the, the rodent has been coming out in the middle of the night and just putting everything back into the box like an elf.
0: Honestly, I think he, I think the rodent is just trying to create a nest for itself. <laughs> He's just trying to put everything into that box so that it is snugly and comfortable, <laughs> so that he can go and sleep there in comfort, rather than have everything messy. I think everybody of us has a neat freak perspective. We want everything snugged and cuddly and tight. Phil,
1: I, you That's just bring my perspective. the rationality and logic to what is a really <laughs> magical story. I just want the rodent as my own pet.
0: Why do you want the rodent so as would, a pet?
2: So when I come downstairs, you know, after a restful night's sleep, my living room is tidy. My kitchen is pick and span and everything done. is magic. I just
1: love it, right? You know what? I don't need a house cleaning rodent, but I would want a rodent that could make me ratatouille. You know, if I could come in the morning and have breakfast later on the table, that is a pet Aye. mouse that I could get behind. Good luck. (laughs) Well, let's turn our attention to some um, uh, other news. I think it's U.S. election season. Uh, It's going to be in the spotlight this year as we head into November, even though it is only January. The coming week is going to be really important because it will be the first test of who will be the next Republican presidential candidate. All the 50 states are going to be holding primaries to select the Republican and Democratic candidate. And the Iowa primary for the Republicans will be on 15th of January next week. And we've been seeing a lot of headlines about who's going to run, who possibly could be in the forefront, or who will be second to Donald Trump.
0: And I think, of course, the big news was that uh, one of the biggest contenders, Chris Christie, he's opted out, and many, of course, assume that Nikki Haley will likely benefit uh, in that uh, polling because actually most of Chris Christie's supporters tend to be biased towards Nikki Haley by apparently according to a ratio of seven to one. So that's the big question, right? And it's reflecting the polls because apparently in the New Hampshire primary polls. Nikki Haley is less than single digit away from Mm. Donald Trump.
1: Ooh, that's interesting. We have a little bit of time before we get to New Hampshire. I think looking at Iowa, which is next week, um, I want to just talk a little bit about Chris Christie. He was the former governor of New Jersey, correct me if I'm wrong, but he has been the most strident uh, anti-Trump potential candidate in the race so far. He hasn't gotten any traction whatsoever. Mm. You know, the Mm. the wave against Donald Trump is just not there. And um, with his his exit, uh, there isn't really any other major candidate that uh, is brave enough to speak out against Donald Trump.
2: And we see that again and again at every U.S. uh, Republican debate, right? So far, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, all skirting on the issue of Donald Trump when asked, all trying to be super polite rather than actually saying, "Okay, you know, our former president did this or did that. Everyone's still trying to paint him as the you know he was such a great president to, in the United States. I think it's
0: a very interesting tactic because you don't want to alienate those core voters, and they are a huge batch of voters, and they have high enthusiasm uh, to actually go out and turn up in the polls. So maybe they are playing the assumption that with all the court cases that President Donald Trump is experiencing, mm. that in the end he may not even be on the ballot. So let us just play for that core vote, right, and make sure that I don't alienate them in the process.
1: That is a really good point because he is facing. Several uh, trials uh, questioning his immunity and whether uh, the fact that uh, he has been involved in the insurrection mm. does that immediately discount mm. him from running for president again? Uh, that is playing out in a couple different states. Uh, I think we're going to see how that. But I goes. wonder as the po- as we get to more of these
2: primaries, right, and really the the gap between ro- uh, Donald Trump and Nikki Haley narrows. Does this force Trump's hand in terms of how he's been campaigning? Because the way he's been campaigning is just like, you know, I've done the best thing for America. I'm yeah. the best. I'm the best. He keeps repeating it, right? Uh, it's it's basically an attempt by the current government to put me in jail. You know, I've been victimized. But if Nikki Haley is a serious contender, will he then have to actually kind of step up and, argue his point of view from a policy perspective or am I dreaming?
0: I think you're dreaming but I suspect <laughs> I suspect what's happening now is that he knows his leading, his lead is unassailable. That's why he's taking an outward view at attacking Biden but if the gap narrows, he has to perhaps work inwards and perhaps drive his attention more towards Nikki Haley because if you recall earlier in the campaign when Ron DeSantis was quite close in the polls with mm. President Trump, he really you know didn't, you know, he really went after Ron DeSantis but when the polls widened, you notice he just started his attacks on Biden. So I think that's where you see how the polls will affect how his demeanour and behaviour is. But I suspect it won't be policy-driven.
1: Well, you know we're going to be talking more (laughs) about this in the weeks and months to come. Uh, But let's still stick to the US and take a look at another story that has really been going around this week. And in a way, it's a cautionary tale for HR managers and the importance of actually knowing where your personnel are. And we are talking about the US Secretary of Defence, Austin Lloyd
2: Austin, Austin.
1: (laughs) the US Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and the Pentagon, who are currently fielding questions about how and why news of his illness was kept secret from his boss, the US President.
2: Imagine this happened for four days. Four whole days, right? Um, Because he, of course, Lloyd Austin was secretly rushed to a military medical center on New Year's Day. Uh, And it would actually take almost eight days before the President even knew why. And this is this position is critical because he's the sixth in line uh, of, if anything were to happen to Joe Biden, he's also the second in line for military command after the president. And during the time when he was in hospital, there were some military activities. So who was actually in charge?
0: Yeah. To be fair, though, you know, since he was rushed to hospital, I wouldn't necessarily blame Lloyd Austin for not telling the boss that he he actually has to go for surgery because it probably was emergency and, you know, his mind was probably Uh, focused uh, on... Hello,
2: Machais, where are you (laughs) all?
0: Ah, so the bigger issue here is the infrastructure and why is it the department isn't alerting the White House over these things? So I was reflecting about this, right? Like as a HR manager or as a boss, right? If my employee tells me I'm going on leave... I sometimes don't even ask where you're going because they'll press it's none of your business, right? Mm. So that's the big question I always have when you talk to your colleagues, like, Oh, you're taking leave, but then it's like, Where are you going for leave? But this
2: is not leave. This is where you're just A Wall, right? Nobody nobody knows that you're in hospital. Yes. And because you are in such a powerful position, there should be a chain of command. And the number two should automatically take over and inform the big boss, yes, hey, hello, I'm in charge now uh. because My, you know, Lloyd Austin is currently in hospital. That didn't
1: happen. Apparently, I mean, it was really kept secret. And even his deputy in the uh, Pentagon apparently wasn't aware that he was hospitalized. We don't know how far true that is. Like what really happened is what everyone's trying to figure out. Okay,
2: so the moral of the story is that even the Ministry of Defense or whatever the Defense Department they call it in the United States doesn't seem to have a BCP. (laughs) They don't seem to have a business contingency plan if boss is sick.
0: And it's specifically for the U.S., so much concerns about President Biden's age, you know, being brought up. So is his, you know, front bench competent or not to execute many of these tasks, right? And that's why there's so much scrutiny about Lloyd Austin now.
1: He is 70 years old, by the way. So, you know, there's a very mature cabinet um, leaders for Biden. Anyways, maybe we have time for a very quick story because I think this may have flown under the radar for a lot of us because when you talk about Ecuador, it's really as far away from Mm. Malaysia as one can imagine. But this South American state has been gripped by unrest that is really the stuff of fiction.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think what you saw was that I think gunmen entered the uh, this most watched news program El Noticiero uh, while broadcasting live when gunmen stormed the studio. When I wat- read this, my, I had a chill in my spine, like I was actually having flashbacks. Whether you know, armed purpose person will come to the BFM and studio and take
2: over our mics and take over
0: our mics, but I realized no, they have to go through the turnstile.
2: Uh, but then even then, I mean, they're gunmen. I don't think the turnstile is going to be an issue. And they need the card
0: access card to get to our floor three A
2: that's going to stop them either. But in the first place, Malaysia is not half as dangerous yes. as Ecuador, which is one of the most dangerous countries in South America. The murder rate there is extremely high and gangs literally
1: run the country. I think what's shocking about it is how this has happened over the course of just a couple of years. Because in mm. 2019, Ecuador was one of the safest countries in Latin America, according to data. Mm. And you know, now they're gripped in this drug war that is affecting really just your day-to-day life. And when you think of TV stations being held hostage, that's incredibly it's scary. incredible,
0: And that's why there's so much conversation about the border in the United States.
1: All right, it's 9.47 a.m. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll come back with a look at more of the stories that have caught our attention this week. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. 9.48am. Thanks for staying tuned to The Morning Run. You're listening to WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly recap show. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. We are turning our attention to some of the local news that's been circulating this week. And what's clear is that the Malaysian Anti-Corruption Commission has been buzzing in the first few weeks of January as a series of figures have come in and out of its doors for questioning over the past two weeks.
0: I mean, I'm just looking at, you know, I think some of these web portals like Malaysia Kini, every single window pane involves some form of corruption or investigation taking place. And it's really a long list, right? You've got the Kadamantri and Tribasar. You've got Najib Razak's current case. You've got Ismail Sabri going through a 5 year in a in, uh, investi- uh quizzing. You've got Daim's wife on the press conference. You've got Daim filing a court bid to quash MACC probe. So really, I must say, MACC is on truly overdrive here.
2: Okay. Okay. Okay, but okay, this one has really caught my eye. Uh, It's related to MACC, and that is somebody actually claimed uh, trials to impersonating the MACC chief to top it all up. I want to just share. A so story. I'm like, okay, all these trials are going on, never mind. Then someone pretends to be the boss there.
0: Can I just make an admission? When I was very young, I was bullied in school. So my mom found out she came to school and impersonated it as someone from the CID FBI. Oh To oh my say my actually that if you keep on bullying my son, I will report you to the CID. So, so we... I wonder going forward in this generation whether, <laughs> you know, parents will go to school and say, I am from the MACC, so don't bully my kid. <laughs>
2: Mrs. C, what have you done? Is it time for an arrest warrant for Mrs. C too? (laughs) But really the MACC, I mean, okay, when you look at the characters or the individuals being investigated, I'm sure that people thinking, is this all politically motivated? Because they are all, you know... Once upon a time, politicians, once upon a time, uh, prime ministers and mm. then also people of certain power connected to certain personalities, I' I'm, I'm I'm all for corruption being stamped out. I'm all for MACC doing their ro- their job. but then you know, at the back of my mind, MACC needs to do its job equally against everybody.
0: Yeah, and that means you have to change the governance structure of MACC. You know, there's so much conversation about how MACC reports to, who is the selection committee, who is in the board, right? Mm. I think to address all these things, you have to fundamentally look at how you govern and organize the selection of the commissioners of the MACC then.
1: I mean, at the moment the Prime Minister has a lot of say in appointing who runs MACC, right? So this has been a long-standing call for MACC to be brought under the oversight of Parliament to really make it as independent as it possibly can in order to avoid that insinuation that these uh, corruption uh, investigations are due to political persecution. You mm. know, Because that just does a disservice uh, to what to is all the great work they do. a task that needs to be done, especially if we're serious about snapping out corruption. But uh, the credibility gaps uh, don't help the matter.
2: I think the other thing also is that sometimes I get the perception that the MACC starts an investigation and then it kind of goes nowhere And we don't know and we don't what know. happens to yeah, it we don't know what happens to it or maybe we forget uh, it would be great if like there was a system in place where you know certain cases just don't drag on forever and they, there's a finite Fair? you know like there's an outcome that we are made aware of
0: I wonder, that's that's a very good point because what Shaz is talking about is the governance of how we select. You're also talking about the reporting structure, right? Of I'm here at the current status of the investigations going on. There are, of course, some confidentiality issues naturally. So finding that balance to strike is essential there.
1: And understanding that investigations take time. I mean, we can see how some investigations in other countries, for example, it can drag out over the year. But the point is, uh, the public or the person concerned itself is kept abreast about what the status is, where it's going. And really you know, you have to also be fair to the person being accused, Mm. the person being investigated. This is all about due process, right? Uh, So making sure that we have those uh, checks and balances in place. Uh, But we will be watching very closely what comes out of all these MACC probes. Um, Big names involved. I'm sure there'll be a lot of headlines uh, coming into play. Uh, But uh, let's uh, talk about some of the reasons why we're grateful to be Malaysian. I mean, (laughs) I know we have many discontents. Uh, We can go on a gripe spree any time of the week. Uh, But uh, we do have one great uh, positive to being Malaysian and that is the strength of our passport.
0: That's right. It's ranked 12th a spot with a visa-free score of 179 after dropping number 14. Only Malaysia shares the ranking with Cyprus and Liechtenstein. Right atop at the, the index though is France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Singapore and Spain with a score of 194 while Afghanistan remains the last with a score of 28.
1: I think those uh, with passports that don't require to apply for visa sometimes forget how lucky we are. How, how really it 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 helps that we don't Mm. have the headache of applying for visas uh, for a vast majority of countries. Because when you hear the stories of uh, other passports with less clout, perhaps the visa headaches, the bureaucracy, just the going back and forth. It really does kill your appetite for travel.
0: And that's why, you know, with recently, especially in Malaysia, where you've now got visa free travel to China, which hasn't Mm. been in place for, I think, ever. And please correct me if I'm wrong there. Uh, that's actually enticed many of us to rethink, oh, should we go to Shanghai?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So for some context in terms of what, what it means when you have the world's most powerful passport, this is because you can travel to as many as 194 destinations without visas. We, on the other hand, even though we score 12, we, the visa-free destinations is only 179. So still quite a big spread. Still I think big. the one that comes to mind, of course, is the United States. We still need visas to go to go there. Right.
1: Right. So that means France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Singapore, Spain don't need that visa to the US. And I remember there were talks about having a a US Malaysia visa waiver program that uh, hasn't really gone anywhere. Yeah. What Um, happened to it? Because I'm dying to go back to the States. But sometimes I have
2: to say, just the thought of applying visa does does put people off, especially me. I just, you know, the Uh, thought of it, I'm like, "Mm."
0: There are some jurisdictions where it's super onerous. Like I used to, I wanted to do, I did the Trans-Siberian and going to Russia and getting my visa was painful.
2: I also had issues with the Russian visa.
0: That was hard, you know. The best is
2: when they ask you to list the countries you've been to in the last 10 years. (laughs) And then you're like, (laughs) Ten years, uh. mm, okay, you know, and then you're like furiously looking through your passport you shops, right? Because you can't remember.
0: can't remember. You can't remember exactly. I think <laughs> mm. that's the thing. But I wonder with digitization whether this becomes a necessity going forward.
1: All right, all those things that uh, we will continue to talk about moving forward. It is nine fifty five in the morning. We're gonna head into the ten a.m. news bulletin, uh, and taking you there is going to be Jailhouse Rock by Elvis Presley. This has been the morning run on WTF. Uh, coming up the 10 a.m. news bulletin stay tuned bfm 89.9
0: you have been listening to a podcast from bfm 89.9 the business station for more stories of the same kind download the bfm app